Well, I am confident that God's doing a work in your life. Amen? Confident of that. And uh, it's a good thing. So uh, I'm excited about the message that I'm going to share with you this morning. Uh, my, my goal is to do some teaching with this message because, or teach this message because I think it's important uh, for you to understand that I, I believe as believers, um, disciples of Christ, I believe it's very important that we understand the influence that we have. The Bible says you are the, the salt, you are the light, and so that speaks of influence, right? And so I'm always going to provide opportunities, as long as God gives me breath to pastor this amazing church, is to provide opportunity for you to be equipped. First and foremost, I want you to encounter God. That's first and foremost. But after that, you have to be equipped. You really got to be equipped. Why? Because the place that God has taken us, we need to um, um, have individuals who are saying, God, we want more. We're not satisfied. We want more. Uh, we, we want more of, of who you are. We want more of, of what you're doing. We want to know more about you. And, and so I want to just let you know that. And so in this particular message that we're going to be teaching on, it's important that we're equipped to understand some of the deception that's out there, some of the discussions that are out there, some of the, the lies that are out there when it comes to God's word. Amen. Um, we, we have to be people of the spirit and people of the word of God. And there is a deliberate, intentional, um, demonic design for this word to be discarded. Right? And so every opportunity you get to read the word of God and to hear the word of God preached, it's an opportunity for you to see God and who he is and what he has revealed about himself. I love what John says. John says, all that Jesus did and taught in three and a half years, he said, if all of that was recorded, there wouldn't be enough paper in the world to uh, record everything. He says, but what has been written is that you may believe, and in believing, you have eternal life. And so the first thing is that the word of God is given to us for what purpose? To believe. Someone say to believe. So from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation at the end, it's all for us to do what? Believe. So therefore, it makes sense that the enemy is going to challenge you and I right out of the gate by asking you one simple question. What did God say? That's it. What? Did God say about his word? Not necessarily about your situation. Are you getting that? Not necessarily about your situation. But what did God's word say about who he is? And you apply that to your situation. Because people will say, well, well, this is not in the Bible. So therefore, it's irrelevant to involve God in this part of my life. Come on, somebody. If you have never been told that, then you will. <laughs> that there's something that happens in your life and they go to the scriptures and they say, well, it's not in the Bible. Jesus didn't speak about this. And so therefore, that part of my life is no longer or I don't necessarily have to submit that part to God. And the devil is a liar, right? 
All of your life belongs to God because of his word. That's my introduction. And so in giving you an update of of what we are doing uh, in terms of the property that we looked at at 908 East Center Street, I told there were four phases. There was phase one of excitement. I love when people say, man, you got a lot of energy. I'm like, praise God. Praise God. You see what I'm saying? And I tell people, when, when you invite people to come here, say, you're going to encounter my pastor, and he's going to be going back and forth sweating. He has a lot of energy. He loves God. He didn't give up his basketball scholarship to answer the call of God to be quiet and not be aggressive. I don't know about you, but I surrendered something that was dear to me, right? It was my God, my identity. And I gave it up to be identified with Christ. Now, you know if I was excited about shooting that basketball, that eternal life, I'm going to be even that much more excited about Jesus. You feel me? There is no way you should come into church and not be excited about the things of God and God's people where God's going to work in someone's life. Come on, somebody. Come on. To know that God's at work in your life excites me. Like, yes, God. Look at what you're doing in this person's life. And so phase one is to get excited. I went and I saw a piece of land. I was like, God, look at what you're doing. Highlighting your redemptive plan. And so part of that, we looked at it because I believe, this is, I'm believing, and me and God is having a conversation about this, that, that I believe, and I'm going to preach, but I'm just giving an introduction, that, that, that I believe it's important um, that, that unless God is the one who shuts down a thing, that we keep it, we, we, we keep it going. And, and the reason for that is because when we came here and, and, and what looked on the natural um, was to shut it down, God says, no, there's life here. There are people who are contending for the faith of this house. And God's like, no, you can't shut it down. Look what God is doing. Come on, somebody. Well, I'm going to praise him. 15 committed, faithful people who says we are going to continue to contend for the faith. Thank you for those heroes. Thank you, guys. Thank you that they gave of their offerings and tithes. That when you looked at what the expenses were compared to the heart was so much bigger and they met every single expense. Come on, somebody. Never missed a payment. Faithful people that on the books, they're like, how in the world did you keep the doors open? God. Come on, I'm telling you. The enemy is going to challenge you to say, what did God say? That's what he's going to do. And so as a result of that, we saw the problem. I'm like, we can't have this place, in, in my personal conviction, give it over to, to the enemy. And I said, God, you, he highlighted an area, and I drove around it. And in that area, I kept seeing dead end and, and no outlet. And it was prophetic for me because God is saying, whatever I do, it comes alive. And he's done it here. Why can't he do it over there? Come on. 
And so, therefore, we're in the excitement phase. And so, phase number two, then, is the explore phase. It, it's to explore. It's to, it's to drive around and to see it. And, and I still go there, and, and, and I picture myself after church going to church. You get an ice cream, you know what I mean? And just like, oh, wow, it just, it's a great marriage, you know what I mean? Like the message and ice cream, right? So, you know, it's a great, great thing. It's a free day, you know what I mean, for those who are working out, right? You know, it's a free day on Sunday to go and get, get your ice cream. And so, and so I'm seeing it. And all of this with trusting God because God is the one that has to provide it. It's a miracle. It's bigger than us. It requires God. It requires God. And so where we are is, is there are still uh, people looking at it and, and, and different things we have, to, we have to go through. But our main part was to see, would we even get the financing? And so I'm here to say... That, that we got approved, come on somebody, that, that they looked and it says, hey, um, 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 looking at what you have in the bank, come on, God is so good. I'm telling you, seven years ago, they were thinking, I don't know how you keep your doors open. And now they're saying, yeah, you have enough in the bank, come on. That the finance is not the issue. Oh, praise, Woo, praise God. It's not the issue. So God is saying, no, the resource is there. The finances we need is there. It's right in here. Amen, somebody. Amen. So where we are now is um, we're in this particular phase of the council and, and how things work with the four square is that all the members, uh, at least 65, and Megan will correct me, 70% have to agree this is the God thing, right? So I can't just on my own, hey, we're going to do this thing, follow me. It's all of us. It's, it's all of us, right, going in. And the reason why I think it's important that it's all of us, and I want you to understand, I need, I'm encouraging you to, to be praying because, because there are some obstacles that we have to see God move in order for this thing to come to pass, right? And so I want you to understand, it is not about the structure on the land. It's about the land that we're after, okay? It's about the land we're after. There's something about taking land that's very important. Okay, because that structure may change. It may need to change, but it's the land that we're after. And that's where the enemy's fighting us. He's not fighting us for the building. The enemy's saying, don't take land. Because he's saying, what did God say? <laughs> what did God say? And so the, the third phase is where we then go ahead and, and, and you know, we, we check things out and we get more detail. So we're at phase two, and I just want to give you that update that we've been approved and now, again, there's a couple of things need for you to pray about in terms of, you know, just the negotiation, but also for the counselor and for us to have wisdom that we're going to steward God's money properly. Amen, somebody? Faithfully, we're not going to waste God's money. The devil will not cause us to waste God's money. You faithfully give up your tithes and offering, contrary to different things that you're facing. You still remain faithful in your giving. There's never been a need at this church that we have presented before you that you have not met. And I celebrate you all for that. I do. I celebrate you for that. So that's the update I want to give you right now. As more information comes, I will share it with you. And then eventually we're going to have to, um, if it comes to our, to our, uh, you know, to our doorstep uh, as, a, as a church, pray and then move forward and, and, and see what God is doing. But as a council, our faith is, is, is big. Uh, thank God for, for Richie and, 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 and for just the council, Ryan and, and Pat, uh, Pastor Teresa Megan, just some great, you got some wise counsel people that are just believing God uh, for supernatural things. And so I'm excited about that. Amen. All right, it's 1122. Get your Bibles. Let's jump right into what we're going to talk about that is going to connect with why should everything about getting that property 
is because God is after a neighborhood. Amen. God is after a neighborhood. That God wants to bring his redemptive work, not just to that area, but God wants to bring his redemptive work to neighborhoods. And so we're going to see how God wants to do that. He wants to do that through us. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to the book of Luke, chapter number 10. And my title today, and when I say this title, I know you're going to finish the rest of it, right? Okay, because we're people who are programmed. And so the moment I say this title, I know whether you verbalize it, it's going to be mentally in your mind, right? So my title for this message and for this month that we're going to dive into is simply this, like a good neighbor. See? (laughs) Stay farm stole that slogan. Amen, somebody. So like a good neighbor. TGP is there. Amen, somebody. Like a good neighbor, you are there. And so we want to really break this down because it's important because Jesus was teaching on this. And this goes back to what I was saying again in regards to understanding that from Genesis to Revelation, the word of God is the authority in your life. It's the authority in your life. So Luke chapter 10, verse 26 to 29, here's what it says. He said to him, what is written in the law? This is Jesus responding back to the lawyer who asked the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? I want you to take a note. What law was Jesus talking about? He had to have been referring to the Old Testament. So Jesus is now bringing authority To the Old Testament. So it tells me then that you cannot divorce the Old Testament from the New Testament. And the reason for that is because the Old Testament and the way it's written, we're going to get to it, is that we actually remove certain things about it because we say that's not relevant for today. And we're not operating the full power of the word of God. This is a great teaching here. It's a great teaching because Jesus goes and says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So my question to you is, how do you read your Bible? How do you take an issue that you are facing, personal, prophetic, corporate, societal, an issue that comes before you? How do you read it according to the scriptures? Not not how your neighbor reads it. We're going to get to that. But how do you read it? And that's what Jesus was saying. You're a lawyer. You're a scribe. How do you read it? You've been taught. You've been trained. How do you read the word of God? That's what Jesus was asking this lawyer. And so he answered. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and and your neighbor as yourself. We're going to land on that part. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do what the Old Testament tells you and you will live and have eternal life. Come on. If there isn't a greater confirmation that we need to be students of the Old Testament, it's right there. He says, if you do that, you will have eternal life. Well, how does that work? Where it just says in Ephesians, by grace are you saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the enemy will say, well, there's a contradiction now. On one hand, Jesus is saying, well, if you do this, you have eternal life. And the Paul writes in the feed says, well, you're saved because of grace, not of works, as any man should boast. And there's not a contradiction. There's a compliment. What Paul is writing is that what God can do, only God can do. But to confirm your faith, he's saying this is how you witness to what you just experienced. So you don't work for your salvation. You work from your salvation. Don't be lazy. 
Don't be lazy. Know the word of God. So when the enemy comes and says, what did God say? You're not lazy. You know what the word of God says. How did Jesus defeat Satan? It is. That's how he did it. Didn't do any cantations. Didn't do anything. He just said, hey, here's what the word says. Satan goes, ooh, okay, he knows the word. Here's what the word says. And he leaves you. The enemy simply exists. Ready for this? Because God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. That whenever the enemy reveals himself, there's an aspect of God's glory that God wants to reveal. And so he wants us to become students of the word of God. So in the garden where it was perfect, who was there? The enemy. And the first question he asked was this. What did God say? So the purpose of the enemy, why? To know what did God say? Not because you don't have choice, but because God wants obedience. Which is better than sacrifice. Are you following me? So what he's saying is this, is that you're saved by grace through faith, not of works as any man should boast. But from your salvation, you live a life of obedience. Why? Because I know what God says about my life. And God's word trumps everybody else. Well, that's a great place to give God praise and glory. Come on. Because people are going to talk about you. People are going uh, uh, to say all sorts of things. But you've got to know what God's word is saying. And you've got to tell yourself as well. And so he goes, designed to justify himself. He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So we want to take a look at this like a good neighbor. And so in the introduction, I told you that, that when we hear this, we think of the State Farm Insurance Company who has coined the phrase in their commercial, like a good neighbor, State Farm is here. I love marketing. I think it's a great marketing tool to do that. And so the reason is because slogans and branding has the ability to stick. The way your brain works, the way your soul works, is that things are branded in such a way that it sticks. And so the enemy knows if I can continue to bring repetition and repetition and repetition and keep denying God or convince you to deny God, it's going to stick. So if an area God hasn't moved in yet, it sticks. So we now realize, well, God is not concerned about that. We go into this area. And what happens is because we don't go back into this area, we're not walking the fullness of what God had for us, what God has for us. So you hear what I'm saying? So the enemy doesn't want the lies, excuse me, God doesn't want the lies of the enemy to stick. Because if you believe a lie, you empower what? The liar. So right now, right now, what you're going to do is this, is that I'm now going to meditate on the word of God. So the word of God becomes something inside of me that I say off memory. Come on. I want the word of God to be the thing that is the marketing tool in my life. I want the scriptures to be my slogan, right? And that's why when I first got saved, I realized, oh, my goodness, I started putting things on my pants. Juice is the answer. And when we won basketball in my high school in Canada, and they said, what do you want on the back of your jersey? And when everybody else was wanting to celebrate what they won, I want to give God praise and glory. And I said, I want Jesus wants you on the back of my jersey. So every single time I'm walking, people can read it, and people can realize Jesus wants you. Listen, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I wanted him to be my slogan. I wanted him to be my marketing tool. I wanted Jesus to be everything. I was so consumed that when I had an afro, believe it or not, I had him put a part like this 
with a cross at the back. Everything about me was about Jesus. Because when I said to you, like a good neighbor, instantly you knew State Farm is there. And so I want people to know when I say Jesus, they're like, ooh, he loves Jesus. I want to be automatic. I want every part of my life to be that. Why? Because he's saying here is that if I do the things by loving my neighbor, then I am going to inherit eternal life. And so the question becomes that the lawyer asks, and who is my neighbor? So quickly, let's look at this definition of the word neighbor. It's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word that is never or not never, but it's normally not translated. Neighbor means family member, brother, or husband. The book of Ephesians and Colossians and Genesis teaches us how to handle those relationship things with our uh, family members, brothers, and husbands, and, and those people in our circle as family. The Word of God speaks to that. So the majority of time that this word is used in the Hebrew definition of it implies a person near but not a family member. That's very important to see what we're looking at here. So it implies someone who is near. So in our definition then, the best thing that we can say is a neighbor then is the person who lives near another, one whose abode is not far off. So in other words, I say, who's your neighbor? It could be the person who lives next door to you. And that's how we look at it and we say, okay, well, what about loving your neighbor? And so that's in the mindset is what the basic definition of it is, is someone who is near me or someone who abodes beside me. But we need to go deeper. Someone say, go deeper. See, the redemptive plan of God is so much deeper because what God is after is the relationship with the neighbor. It's not just acknowledging the neighbor. It's the relationship with the neighbor. And so if you're here now, right, and your family's here, God in his word speaks how you do life together as a family, be it blood or or be it distant relationship, right? But what we have to look at is how do we treat the person who's not family, How do we handle the neighbor? Because for the majority of people, unless all these are your children, right? No, the majority of people that's here is neighbors, not family. And so what he's saying is this, is that in your love for God, that's how you love your family. But it's the second part is loving your neighbor as yourself. That is so important. And so when we understand how the lawyer answered this question, he was actually going to to this level. He was saying this. Who is my neighbor in my community? Who is my neighbor who is just like me? Who is my neighbor who is Jewish? He wasn't thinking broad. He was thinking narrow. He was saying, who is my neighbor? Testing Jesus to see if he would break the law or how he would treat this understanding of this concept of neighbor. He was putting Jesus to the test. And so what we have to understand is that Jesus understood this, but what Jesus did in asking him what is written in the law, Jesus took him back to Leviticus 19, and that's where we're going to go. He took him back to the Old Testament to understand before he speaks about the parable of the Good Samaritan, because in that parable, Jesus blows away his religion and his tradition. Oh, my God. And I believe God is saying that if we want to see a harvest in these last days, he has to break away our traditions. That's not based in God's word. He's got to break religion. Come on. Oh, my God. Because there's people held hostage. Our neighbors are held hostage to our traditions and our religion. Oh, God. Ooh, that's good stuff right there. Save, but have no one you're connecting to as your neighbor. 
You're no different. I'm no different than that lawyer who say neighbor just means my posse, my clique, my group. And so people come in and they can't connect with anybody. Why? Because we don't want to love our neighbors. We love our traditions. We love our comfort. But we don't love neighbors. Because people that look like me, that think like me, are safe. They affirm my identity. Come on. But when you came into Christ, he blew that away and his identity or your identity now needs to be in Christ. Are you following me? Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so I'm telling you right now, when people walk through the doors of this church or they walk into your life, because you are the church. Hello, somebody. They should embrace someone who is not full of tradition or religion. Oh, my God. So they can see Jesus at work. And so what he's saying is this. Is that the definition is much broader. And so it was so important. He takes it back to Leviticus 19. He says, because there's a difference. And when you understand neighbor, here's what it means. It means an associate. It means to associate intimately with. It means to be intentional about helping someone to know Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what it means to have a neighbor. It means to actually have a plan of how I'm going to do things. So where I live, my neighbor, right, is not just a person who lives next door to me. What God is revealing to me is he's showing me every time I see them, I'm waving my hands. Why? Because I want God to not just be that their next door abode. I want to be able to understand where they're coming from. I want to be able to ask them questions about traditions. I want to ask them questions about their heritage. I want to ask them questions about the way they think. I want to ask questions about how they view the world. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Come on. That means I have to understand, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what you're doing in people's lives. So therefore, I know I'm jumping ahead, but I got to go there. I can't come as self-righteous. Because Ephesians says, by grace I'm saved, not of works, as any man should boast. So I don't come self-righteous. Come on, somebody. I don't come with my precondition, what I see about them. I ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me what you're doing in their life. Get me out of the way because my traditions, my heritage, my upbringing, yes, my church traditions can close the door to someone who needs to know Jesus in the fullness of what it is. And so debates erupt. And so all of a sudden, just because of my skin color, they automatically have a perception about me. And because I don't have any hair, come on, somebody, they have a perception about people who are bald. And so I've got to break through what they see because the Bible says, man, look at the outward expression. But God looks where? At the heart. And if you want to have a heart for God, you got to move on the outside. And you got to look on the inside and see that God is doing a work. And oh, my God, you got to believe the impossible that God is able to save to the utmost anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. You got to love your neighbor. So like a good neighbor rose there. And so you got to understand, your street is blessed because you live there. I know I'm challenging your thinking, but you got to understand, on this street, God abodes here. And that's what we're looking for to that place, is to tell a neighborhood, listen, like a good neighbor, TGP is here. And when we get there, your property values are going to go up. Come on, somebody. And when we show up, things are going to be excellent. And when we show up there, your kids are going to be blessed. And when we show up there, prosperity is going to happen. When we show up, life is going to happen in that community. Dead-end signs will be removed. Come on. No outlets will be removed. Why? Because like a good neighbor, TGP is there. You see, a church truly planted 
is not planted because it makes sense marketing-wise. You plant a church because God is saying there's a neighborhood that needs to know that tradition and religion will never get you to heaven. Come on, somebody. But it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross that's going to do it. And so we're this lawyer who was trained in the traditions of the law. Jesus had to realize you're still limited. You're limited in your thinking. You see, and I quote, how one treated a neighbor was important in determining righteousness in Israel. So perhaps God is looking and saying, let me see how you're treating your neighbors to determine the righteousness of our nation. How is the church treating our neighbors? Now, I know the first thing might be I'm going to go into some social thing. Come on, stay spiritual. Stay spiritual. Because when we look at this word righteousness, it is so much deeper than just your behavior. Righteousness is because you're in Christ who is your righteousness. That's what the word righteousness means. It's to be in right standing with God. It means to be at peace with God. Come on, somebody. It's to be at peace with God. Your righteousness is to be at peace with God. It's not your behavior. Because if you're not at peace with God, you can't behave properly. So righteousness means I'm at peace with God. He loves me. I'm his daughter. I'm his son. Oh, my goodness. I'm his favorite. Yes. When I was born physically, God rejoiced. I don't know if my parents did, but God rejoiced. Plugged in for my birthday. Amen. So I was wondering how I was going to figure that in and get that in. You know what I'm saying? I was, you know, I, yeah, I want to stay spiritual, but, you know, I have to see how I can plug, plug in next week. You know what I mean? What an honor to preach on my birthday. Amen, somebody. And so, so there, there's my commercial, for, you know, for, for that. But God rejoiced when you were born as well. Come on. In his mother's womb, God knew, Jeremiah says. And he rejoiced over your birth. He rejoiced over your birth. And so he wants you to understand that righteousness now is to come into right standard with the one who wanted you to be here. So to refuse to treat one's neighbor justly was this. It was a cause for a national disintegration and invited God's judgment. And so in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, stay with me. In Jeremiah, he says, let everyone be aware of his neighbor. Jeremiah 9, 4, and 5, and put no trust in any brother, for every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer or a talebearer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves, commit iniquity. He's saying because they didn't understand how to love your neighbor as yourself, according to Leviticus, the nation, because they progressed like this, end up being a place where they couldn't trust each other. And neighbors were speaking against neighbors, slandering, come on. And they were doing all sorts of things. And iniquity, watch this. So you look at this. Iniquity abounds in the church because we don't know how to love neighbors. Not because we don't love God. Everybody loves God. Cat, your dog, your fish, everybody loves God. But to love your neighbor, who? I don't want you to lose that. Sin abounds in a group of people who don't understand righteousness because they don't love their neighbors correctly. So we do things to each other that's not biblical because we don't fully understand how to love my neighbor. Oh my God. And it invokes God's judgment. That's a good word right there. And so what we do is this. You ready for this? Because of that, we look at the Bible and we see the Old Testament and we just say, it's the letter of the law. It's the law. And so now we have groups. Please don't throw anything when I say this. 
But the point I'm trying to make is two points is simply this. The first one is the law, the letter of the law versus what Jesus taught was the spirit of the law. The big difference. The letter of the law, because certain laws that were given was for the nation of Israel only. There were certain things given to the nation of Israel because of Abraham, because of a promise to Abraham. But there are things that we can relate and principles we draw from that to see the redemptiveness of God. That's the spirit of law that we should live in today. There are certain dietary laws that were given as you look in Leviticus that if we look at it today would actually keep you healthy and live longer. And so though it was a means for them as a nation how they're supposed to eat, we look at ah, that's not for today. No, the letter of the law may not be for today. But if you know Jesus who's your righteousness, the spirit of the law will come. So that's how you get rid of gluttony. Come on, somebody. I'm teaching this thing, right? And so that's how you look at it. And so what people, what the enemy wants is to separate the Old Testament. And you have people who say, I'm a New Testament believer. That the only reason you can be a New Testament believer is because of the Old Testament. Our issue is, there's some things in the Old Testament that's rough. In our discipleship class, I said this, we don't want to change. Because change is not easy. It's not easy to change. It's difficult. And so when we take a look at this, we have to understand that, that what we're seeing is this, is that this particular scripture that, that the lawyer mentioned, here's why we're, we're looking at, is because it's the most often quoted scripture. According to Skip, who's the pastor of Calvary Church, he says that the most often quoted Old Testament verse, phrase, or statement is this one, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Throughout the entire Old Testament, you see this repeated over and over and over again. And in the New Testament, it's repeated over by Jesus, by Paul, by Peter. It's repeated over and over and over again. So I think God wants us to understand that in loving him, we have to love our neighbors. I keep hearing this in my spirit. That the reason why sin abides in a group of people is because, not that we don't love God, it's because we don't want to love our neighbors. And if we learn to love our neighbors, we'll drive sin out. We will drive Satan out. We will drive traditions out. Come on. We will drive religion out. And we'll finally have people of the Spirit doing life together to glorify God that welcomes everybody to come in and to serve God together. It's really good stuff, I'm telling you. So you see, love your neighbor. I love what Richard Elliott Friedman said. Love your neighbor as yourself remains famous, impressive, fascinating, inspiring. You can accept or challenge it. You can decide whether you will follow it in your own life, but don't change what it means. And so you can look at the word of God. You can be, man, I'm fascinated and everything, but do not try and do not attempt to change the word of God. Live by your spirit. So then you will embrace the things of God. So when things are challenging, what do I need to do? I need to go and say, God, by your spirit, illuminate your word for me. I'm not going to change it. I need for you to change me. So God, by your spirit, illuminate your word. Someone say, illuminate. Come on. Uh, uh, Open my eyes. Let let, let, let the light of your revelation come to me because this word, I need it. Because I got to love my neighbor. My God, I got to love my neighbor. Because if I can love my neighbor, it is indication I love my family. And so this word is over and over and over again. So I would like to be like a good neighbor. You see, second only to loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself is a central point of all biblical laws and personal holiness. 
I quote, it is the antidote to correcting all negative behavior towards others. What? Are you telling me if I have a conflict with somebody that the antidote is to love my neighbor as myself? And the answer is yes. And what do we do? We fast more. (laughs) And God, that's not the answer. And we do all sorts of things. And stay spiritual. Because we don't want to address the real issue here. That the wound of that person is deeper than my worship for God. And I'm safe worshiping God, but I'm afraid you'll wound me again. And so I'll let sin roam in your life. (sighs) Come on. I'll let sin roam in your life and in my life. Because I'm afraid of actually fulfilling the scripture. And Jesus said to the lawyer, what does that word say? And he could only say, if it's the person that I'm used to, that's familiar, I'll love them. But someone outside of my circle, forget it. I can't do it. It's a major risk. It's a major risk. Major risk. And so here's what they did. You ready for this? What do we do when we're stuck like that? What do we do when we're seeing that worship with God is vital? We're encountering God. We're fasting. We're praying. We're doing all sorts of things. But my neighbor over here, and I can't do it. What do we do? What did they do when they realized that Rome came? Jesus wasn't coming. Or, or God didn't take over the Roman and, and the Greeks, and, the, and they're under the oppression. What did they do? You ready for this? What the Pharisees did what the essence did, the people at the time in the intertestamental pair between Malachi and Matthew, what they did, you ready for this? They made their own laws. The letter of the law is wounding me, so I make my own law. And so they added to what the Old Testament was saying, and they called it religion. And this where we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it's in that Jesus shows up. And so even though we may not be modern day, excuse me, even though we may not be Pharisees of the Old Testament, we could be modern day Pharisees that made up our own law of how we're going to engage people. I'm telling you right now, when you read Leviticus 19, or if you really, really want to care about heart, Leviticus 18 is going to really mess with you. Because it'll answer some of our society things we're debating where it wasn't even a debate. <laughs> Was debate. So, so let, let me give you the three things that I want to give to you as we take a look at this because they made their own law. And, and so in doing that, um, they limited their ability to love, right, in making their own law. But here's the thing. I want to leave you with these three things that we're going to pick up on this next week. Here's what the Lord spoke to me about before I even got to Leviticus 19. The three things dropped to my spirit. Number one, write this down, is that God is holy. God is holy. And just addressing this lawyer, what he wanted to understand, what he said, what is it written? He wanted to understand that God is holy, first and foremost. The second thing is people are hurting. People are hurting. That's the second thing. So number one, God is holy. Number two, people are hurting. And number three, ready for this? I am healed. To love your neighbor is you testifying that I'm healed. You feel me? To love your neighbor the way it's supposed to be done, you're saying I'm healed. Is that God is holy, people are hurting, and I am healed. These three things are going to be, it's going to be the structure. It's going to be the thing that you're going to see. That when it comes to when the enemy says, what did God say? Your first response is this, God is holy. 
the situation that you're facing, it doesn't, whether it's financial, whether it's a friendship, whatever it is, the first thing that you're going to remind yourself is this. God is holy. Can we just, can we just say that together? Say, God is holy. He's not nice. He's not nice. Because sometimes being nice without understanding holiness is flattery. And you will cause people to remain in sin where they're asking for freedom. Because you're being nice and not saying God is holy. And so to love your neighbor, the first thing you have to understand was this. Is that God's heart is for the whole world. And God is holy. What do we mean by that? When we say God is holy, Leviticus 19, 1 and 2, and we're going to end with this. I really want this to sink in because this is where, see, Jesus sat among sinners, didn't he? Jesus sat among sinners. And they said that he's a friend of sinners and, 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 and a, a drunkard and all those things. But if you don't understand the holiness of God, what you would do is you go among sinners to be like them as opposed to going among sinners because you're holy. Ooh, God. And so what happens when you go without being holy, you fall into the temptation and the traps of the sinner. I can convert them. No, you're not being holy. (laughs) Only God can save somebody. So if you try to go in a relationship to save somebody, you are wasting your time. I didn't say you can't have a relationship. I'm just simply saying, be holy. Be holy. Because what happens is as we take a look at this, right, that we understand and and we try to relate and we try to be relevant. And what happens is that in order to be relevant, you compromise. And so what happens is you don't know how to be holy and dealing with people's hurt. Because we're trying to be nice. You want to know why? I got to hurt. Because your emotions that God gave you feels for them. So a lot of issues that you champion is an emotional issue. It's not a theological issue. You just made a law to justify your emotions as opposed to saying, what does God say theologically? That's how we do it. It's so funny. Let me give you an example. I remember when we used to come to church, man, and you had to wear a shirt and tie. I mean, it was a suit. I remember that, man. It was like he came to church. And I don't know if I told this story, but I remember my first time getting to preach. I was so excited. I was an 18-year-old kid, and I was super excited. And for my birthday, I got this really nice cardigan. It was this really cool-looking outfit, and I'm ready to wear it. And I get up there, and my pastor goes, where are you going? I said, what do you mean? I'm going to go speak. He goes, no, you're not. He's like, so, so where, where's, your, where's, your, where's your suit jacket and your tie? I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't have one of those. He called the elder who had this ugly-looking tie. This ugly looking jacket and put it on me. He says, Go and preach. And so the tradition that was brought up was simply that holiness meant you wore a shirt and tie. My traditions, I'm like, Okay, cool. 
And what happens now, eventually because as years went by and stores were now being opened on Sundays and things was happening now, and all of a sudden someone says, hey, they can't relate to you in a shirt and tie, so now we lost the tie. And we took off the jacket. And we got comfortable in Zion. And we did all these things, traditions, yes, but what we did, we forgot to stay holy. We became nice to an audience who couldn't relate, but we weren't holy anymore. Oh, my God. And so all of a sudden, values and spiritual things just became something that we didn't have to acknowledge anymore. Why? Because we wanted to be nice. No, God has said, be holy. You can't love your neighbor if you are not holy. God Almighty. And so we still have churches that rock the shirt and tie and say, that's holiness. And I'm like, you're missing the point. That's legalism. I learned my lesson, but that's legalism. I honor my elders, but that was legalism. Come on. I was no more holy if I just had a, what, a tank top on than a shirt and tie. I'm so uncomfortable for um, 4th of July. I went to my, to my extended family that I love so much and Blaine's family, we went over there. They've had an amazing time. And, and so they said, hey, Ro, why don't you wear this, this tank? Like, I don't wear tank tops, man. This, that, that. It was so uncomfortable. Like this, man, I go to it's so uncomfortable. And they put a bed if I would wear it or not. You know what I mean? I went, I'm like, oh. There was nothing wrong with the top. It was my traditions that was holding me back. When I finally got free, I had a great time. I'm here to tell you right now. In the church being relevant to love our neighbors, we became nice and we lost holiness. And we allowed our kids to do whatever they want in the name of trying to relate to you. So lose the tie. Lose the jacket. Sure, give you words, smoke machines, skinny jeans, whatever. Just don't lose holiness. I feel the Holy Ghost right in this place right here. Because Leviticus 19, before he got to love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, 1 and 2 says, be holy because I'm holy. That's the reason. He says, you can't treat people the way I treat you if you're not holy. So people are in sin, in bondage, went away from God because we were nice and not holy. And there are people in places that are dark and places that are deceptive. And because we're self-righteous, we don't go into the dark to be the light. Why? Because we don't know what it means to be holy. I'm here to tell you right now, be holy and be the light and go into the place of darkness and let them know there is a God who saves. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who has a purpose for my God, for your life. Be holy. TGP, be holy, my God. Oh. Be holy. Because God is holy. Because there are so many places out there that people aren't free. Not because God's power ceases to be God's power. It's because we're being nice and not holy. And they leave feeling good, but not knowing that God is good. They leave 
coddled but not knowing that I can change. Come on, church. We've got to be holy. Woo, hallelujah. My God, my God, I feel God in this place. He's breaking traditions. Come on, come on, generation. There's a generation saying, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. But please still preach holiness. Elders of the faith, preach holiness. Speak to the congregation of the people of Israel. Thus saith the Lord. What is written? God is holy. So when the enemy comes against you, first thing out of your mouth is this. God is holy. I won't even have any more conversation until we get that established. And it's not because you're self-righteous. No, remember, it's the righteousness of God, right? So to love you, that means I'm right. I'm at peace with God. I'm at pe- I was a rascal like you, but I'm at peace with God. I've been where you've been. I'm at peace with God. So my holiness doesn't mean self-righteous. Ready for this? Write this down. My holiness means I'm set apart. And because I'm set apart, I can now step into the Agora. Oh, my God. And says, come on with me. Let us walk together. See, God, be holy. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Be holy. Be holy. God, give us a holy church. Give us holy people. Peter says you are a royal priesthood. A chosen generation. A holy nation is what he said. Be holy. Be holy in your words. Be holy. Be holy in your conversations. Be holy in all that you do. Come on. Be holy. Be holy. Like a good neighbor. Be holy. With your head bowed and your eyes closed. This is where we start. This is where we start. God, I pray as TGP that we will not confuse being nice with being holy. That we will be kind because that is the thing that you tell us to be kind. But we want to be holy because you are holy. And so to love my neighbor, you may have to send me into some places. That people, other believers may criticize, but because I'm holy, I go to show the light because you are the light of the world. I don't try to go to save. I go to shine. I hear the Holy Spirit saying, don't go to try to save. Go and try to make your light shine. That's being holy. That's being holy. When you try to go and save, you're going to become self-righteous. But when you go there for your light to shine, you'll be holy. So, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen.